Hello, and welcome to episode six of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. My name is Kareem Farah, and I'm the founder and executive director of the Modern Classrooms Project. I will be co-hosting today with Zach Diamond. Hey, Kareem. How are you? Good. How are you? I am doing great. Happy to be here. Uh, Me as well. And the topic of today's episode is an exciting one, an interesting one, a complicated one. We're going to be talking about building self-regulated learners. And joining us today as a special guest is a wonderful teacher and a person who I have gotten to know very, very well, Moira Mazi. She's an extraordinary Modern Classrooms implementer and wonderful mentor as well. And I actually first met uh, Mazi a few years ago when she joined our fellowship in the DC area. But when I really realized that she was kind of the perfect person to talk about self-regulated learners is when I got to actually visit her classroom. And I'll never forget this. I walk into her classroom, the bell rings, students start walking in, and Mazi did not say a word for the first five minutes of class. Every kid picked up where they left off. They checked the pacing tracker. They started working. Everyone was comfortable. Everyone was engaged. And I sort of looked around and I was like, what in the world is going on here? These are the most self-regulated learners I've ever seen. And Mozzie must be a magician or something. So it is a joy to have her here. She's going to be a wonderful person to share her thoughts on building self-directed learners. So Moira, can you share a little bit more about yourself, your background, what brought you into teaching, how long you've been teaching, and then also your connection to the Modern Classrooms Project? Yeah, definitely. All right. So I'm really happy to um, be on the show today. And I'm at West Potomac right now, West Potomac High School in Alexandria, Virginia. I've been teaching there for four years. I'm a geosystems teacher. I teach 11th and 12th graders. Before West Potomac, I was in D.C. for two years where I gained a lot of experience working with um, English language learners, also teaching science. And then before that, I was in Loudoun County in Virginia for about nine years teaching ninth graders earth science. So um, when I was uh, maybe my second year at West Potomac, I met Michael Carr, who had already um, started with Modern Classrooms. And we were sort of, I was talking to him about some of the issues I was having with students who were chronically absent and then being able to integrate them into class well, which I was having problems with because they would come in and I was teaching traditionally and they really needed some attention, but I couldn't give that to them because I was trying to lead the whole class. And so I was like, you know, sit down here. We're on lesson, you know, five out of nine in this unit try to hang in there. They got frustrated. Um, they would give up pretty easily. And then, and then sometimes I wouldn't see them again for, you know, several classes after that because they would come in and try, but it just wasn't working. So when I was telling him about that, he was like, you should apply to modern classrooms. So I looked, looked it up and I was like, yes, this looks good. Um, went through the fellowship in the summer and, um, it was, it was hard at first. It was definitely a challenge, the fellowship and um, implementing it was a challenge at first as well. But it was motivating because I was immediately seeing what I wanted to happen, happen, which was um, students that needed my attention. I had time to give them attention in the beginning and get them set up and they were able to um, find some success because instead of asking them to do um, the impossible, which is, you know, jump in in the middle of a unit when they're already feeling down and not really confident, I was giving them something they could do. And it was like short 
little um, instructional videos and shorter assignments. And so they could do those things, then come back and check in with me. So then their days were more successful than they were the previous year. So then I was sold. And so then I've been trying to strengthen my skills and keep, um, you know, keep the practice up and keep up with the community ever since then. Fantastic. I cannot express how excited I am to have you on this episode. I mean, we could probably cut it right there because that just storyline of your growth and the way you use the model is better than anything I can explain. So I love it. Um, now, when what I want to really dig into today is this idea of building self-regulated learners. I think it's a really interesting topic to think about sort of globally about education and students in general. And then obviously it pertains to the current moment. Now, when I first started teaching, I don't think I ever thought once about building self-regulated learners. And I, and I don't really know why. I don't know if I was just ignoring when people said that to me because I was like, I just need to figure out how to open a lesson and close a lesson. Um, or it was actually just something that wasn't really reinforced in sort of traditional classroom teaching practices. Um, and it wasn't until I started working with students and had a few years under my belt that I realized that self-regulation is like arguably the most important thing we can teach students. And I say the term self-regulation, it's oftentimes mixed with self-directed learners or students taking control of their own learning, but it's generally just the idea that you're empowering students to plan for a task, teaching them how to monitor their own performance, and then reflecting on it, this idea that kids are controlling their own learning. So can you all share, Zach and Moira, like what is the reason, like, why is it so important to actually build self-regulated learners? Um, I, I can think of two, two reasons. And the first one I'll say is a selfish reason. And it's because when the students are not self-regulating in my classroom, they come after me with questions constantly. Like, I don't, I don't get a chance to like breathe because the kids are hounding me. And you know, that, that's, not great for me, but also I think that it's sort of like this learned helplessness that kids bring to the classroom. And, you know, Shane was talking about this in the last episode too, where he'll, he'll finish his lecture and then like 10 hands are in the air. Right. Um, and so as the teacher finding ways to help the students manage that whole learning process after the, like the teacher guided learning has ended, uh, is, is just a time saver for me. And it sort of stops my, my, consciousness from being pulled in so many different directions at once and so many kids who which kid has the most urgent question and you know that's just a benefit for me but I think in general I, I'm a middle school teacher and I think that being a, a self-regulated learner and a self-regulated planner in general um, is just one of the sort of life skills the soft skills that we want kids to develop in middle school and you know I have I had this memory when when I was my my first year in the classroom um it was my toughest class and I asked the my subject coordinator to come in and observe and he was like man those kids it's like whack-a-mole and I I think back to that the kids just keep coming like just so many different things going on and if you can develop this sort of culture of self-regulation in the classroom where kids can sort of fend for themselves and figure out without the teacher's help what's going on and what to do and how to learn it's just a more calm and more productive environment and that's 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 where I'm coming from. Yeah, definitely. And I would add to that, too, that um, I agree, Kareem, that I think it's one of the most important things that we can teach. And I'm teaching the 11th and 12th graders. And to me, it's sort of like teaching them to show up like you have to show up no matter what you're doing, whether or not it's geosystems class or your job or relationships or whatever in the future. It's like, I feel like part of self-regulation is like 
you need to show up and you need to show up when it's not that hard, when it's hard, when you've been procrastinating, when you don't feel like coming, you know, or doing things. It's sort of teaching these kids um, and to show up and then also teaching them um, how to advocate and um, figure things out when they're when they're getting lost. Yeah. And I mean, you know, what's so interesting is, Zach, you obviously teach the middle schoolers, but Mazi, you and I have taught the same similar grade levels for some time. And a lot of times we taught seniors. Um, and in some ways, that is a unique time to understand the importance of building self-regulated learners because they're about to graduate. And I remember actually realizing this, like, the first time I saw my seniors graduate and I felt like I had failed them because I was like, I did not teach you all how to be self-regulated learners. And no one is going to teach you this after you leave. Like that is an assumption everyone has about the way you perform once you leave high school. Professors assume you're going to be a self-regulated learner. Bosses assume you're going to be your own problem solver. So it's this like really jarring jump if you don't know how to be a self-regulated learner to go from high school to sort of the real world. And if we don't cultivate that in our students, no one else will. And they're gonna have to learn the hard way. And that's really scary. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that you say that like the since middle school, I can tell you that kids are getting that message to them, like professors in college, they're not going to sit with you and help you like this. They're going to lecture at you. And then you're on your own. That's something that we tell our kids. Yeah. And it just comes to a head, right? Right at the end. It's like, bye. And it's like, oh, whoa. Like we, I, I may have taught you algebra too, but I didn't teach you how to study for yourself or, you know, like find out when you're making a mistake and correct. So um, that's why I think it's so incredibly important. I think you all have echoed that. So talk to me a little bit about the greatest challenges. I mean, obviously this is such an important concept. And I, and oftentimes I think that when an important, an important concept is not being taught, one of the reasons might be that we're not actually paying attention to it. But one of the other reasons might actually be that it's really hard to cultivate, right? It's not something that you can do easily. Um, So can you all share a little bit about the greatest challenges you all find in building self-regulated learners? Yeah, I would say um, one of, uh, when you say that, the first thing that comes to mind is it takes a lot of time, patience, and consistency on the teacher's part. But one of the probably greatest challenges is that some students, they just, again, by the time they get to me in 11th and 12th grade, they have found a lot of um, failure. And sometimes they find that that's easier. So it's like, I get these students and they're like, they would rather just fail or they would rather just sort of kick back and have me tell them exactly what to do. And they sort of aren't yet interested in managing themselves. So that's one of the struggles that um, I have with some students in the beginning. Yeah, so incredibly true. It's amazing how much conditioning happens prior to kids getting to that, you know, 11th and 12th grade phase. A lot of folks think like, oh, of course, they're the older kids, so they must be more self-regulated. It's actually like, "Mm, I'm not entirely sure that's the case. It might even be the reverse sometimes. They've been conditioned to find loopholes. And and a lot of times when they don't find the loopholes have just kind of chronically failed and been pushed forward. So by that time, they're just not even really interested in being self-regulated. Any thoughts, Zach, on this? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the conditioning and you kind of took away my answer. <laughs> like the, I, I mentioned this before, that learned helplessness. And, um, you know, I, I, I can see what you mean about it being the reverse and having the older kids sometimes be less self-regulated. But I, I have to say, you know, sixth graders can be 
can be in terms of executive functioning, like they have a lot of development to go before they're before they're twelfth graders. And I I personally see a difference in terms of the self regulation even between my sixth graders and my seventh graders, who I literally had last year as sixth graders. Like they they grow up in that one year. Um, I mentioned this to you on a previous episode, Kareem, that I had to do like an intervention with my sixth grade class because they weren't able to stay on pace. Right. Um, they were falling behind and. That wasn't the case with my seventh and eighth grade classes. My my seventh and eighth grade class, by the way, is mixed. It's both combined together. But um, so I have that and sixth grade and the sixth grade classes. So I don't know. I think that the executive functioning is something that those kids have to learn anyway. Um, and it is a challenge. I mean, teachers have been looking for ways to, to successfully build those skills. <laughs> I don't know for how long, probably forever. Um, funny, the first thing that came to mind when you asked the question about challenges is actually like, now that I'm teaching in the modern classrooms way, uh, it's not a challenge anymore in the way that I used to think it was the challenge. Um, it was like before I was grasping at straws, like how can I get these kids to do anything, uh, without asking me or even do anything at all. And now I just point to the pacing tracker and it's like, look, you're behind, you know? And they, that, that motivation to catch back up is, is enough to, to sort of push them over the edge in terms of self-regulation. Um, and that has helped me to overcome the challenge of just not knowing what to do. Well, and I think that speaks a little bit to part of the reason why it's so difficult is it's really hard to teach in isolation. Um, you can't just like come into class, especially if you use sort of a traditional format and be like, Hey everyone, be more self-regulated. And students will be like, like how and when? You know what I mean? Like, I, I, you're starting class with a, a lecture usually. We have like 40 minutes to do an assignment. We then submit that assignment. Then we might do a little exit ticket. And then we go to the next lesson the next day. It's like, where am I really being self-regulated? That like 30-minute span of time where we're working. So I think part of the reason it's very difficult for teachers to reinforce self-regulation is it has to be deeply embedded in your instructional model. It has to be a, a living, breathing part of the way you teach. It can't just be taught in isolation. Otherwise, it won't really stick. Um, so let's then talk a little bit about those kids who do struggle with self-regulation. Uh, the kids who really, like, when you give them sort of that unrestricted time to accomplish tasks, they kind of just sit there. Um, and Mazi, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because again, watching your class was just so fascinating because I saw very few of those kids. And I know that that obviously wasn't the case in the beginning. So can you share a little bit about how you empowered most of your students to really take control of the learning experience and, and some of the ways that you ensured that that would happen and how you intervened when it wasn't working for some kids? Yeah, definitely. I would say the year before I um, joined Modern Classrooms, I was sort of um, reading a lot and playing around with like the flexible classroom in, um, in my classroom. And so I think the year before I hit modern classrooms, I had done a lot of internal work as a teacher on releasing control. Cause I think that's part of it too. Like we're used to having control over everything in the classroom. So I think I had that step where I was starting to release control. And then when I came in with modern classrooms, it was almost like an experiment in the beginning um, because the kids always seemed so um, frazzled when they came into class in the beginning. And, um, and then I had the experience of having to like walk across, you know, three buildings at West Potomac. And I was like, wow, this is, this is actually really um, stressful what the kids are going through. So I'm like, let me experiment and play around with the beginning of class and see if I do just leave them to their own devices. Will they 
um, calm down a little bit quicker? And um, will they even do what they're supposed to be doing? And I was surprised, actually. I did not think it was going to work. And a lot of the students really took to it. It did take them, um, you know, still it was like five five minutes or so like they would be sort of like worked up they're saying hello to their buddies and then sometimes they would um some students like wouldn't even have laptops out they wouldn't be started but i I would be passing back papers and talking to students and and i would just ask them um oh so you know what are you working on today and they would look at me like i was crazy like what do you mean you haven't told us what to do yet and i'm like oh i don't like it's, it's on the board. And like, you look on the progress tracker, like you're on your own pace. Like you have to figure out what your next best step is. And they were like, Oh, you know, and so that, having those conversations like that in the beginning, um, helped the students a lot. Yeah. And I mean, the personalization of it is so important, right? I mean, it's like you can roll out the model and maybe it works for 60% of kids or 70% of kids, but the way you make it work for most kids is then to intervene in that way be like, what don't you understand about how this learning process is working? Let's talk about it. Like, let's, let's actually have that discussion. And like you said, at the beginning of, of today's, um, you know, recording is, is you actually have the time to do that. Right. Whereas in a traditional classroom, if, if the, the learning environment isn't working for kids, you don't really have the time to intervene and discuss why. And this model does give you the space for that. Zach, any thoughts on this? Yeah, I think that, you know, you wrote this question in the document. I was looking over it earlier. It says, what are the most effective ways to explicitly teach self-regulation? And I, um, you know, focusing specifically on the students who struggle with it, that I think that the model gives us the time and also the sort of space and the, like the mental bandwidth to, to help them. Um, but I also think that self-regulation is implicitly built into this model. Um, I am always a little bit, hesitant and skeptical of like teaching lessons that are, are trying to teach kids to be self-regulators. I always feel like when I teach that stuff, it's not authentic um, because it's like a teacher telling you how to live your life. Right. And I don't like being that teacher. It just makes me feel funny. The thing that I use is the pacing tracker to, to sort of coach kids in, um, in the self-regulation. And, and I think that like a kid who falls behind is in a place mentally to be told what they can do now to, to get caught up. And that, that is a moment where you can sit with them. It's a learning opportunity. You can coach them in the self-regulation that has been lacking. And, you know, just being able to point right up at the pacing tracker and say, Here, here's where we are, is implicitly teaching kids that their actions have consequences um, or that they're right on pace, that their actions are, they're doing it right. Yeah, the thing that has changed my teaching so much um, coming from modern classrooms was the push to do daily grading for the tracker. And um, wow, that I am sold on it because it has so many um, offshoots. It helps the students to stay organized with the tracker, but it's also giving students feedback quickly on assignments that they're turning in. So sometimes the feedback um, is a correction here, there, and there, but then it's like revise and resubmit. So if they're working, um, you know, four days before the due date, now they have time to actually revise and resubmit before it's due, which is a healthy, good habit to get into and is going to um, ultimately lead them to higher mastery and, and success. But it also... Um, 
helps me to monitor the students. Like I just feel like I can intervene so, so much better and I can get help for them and get supports with counselors and parents and um, whatever else it is that they need. I'm also able to, um, with the tracker, I'm also able to um, send out emails. So like this year I've been sending out emails midweek, like usually on Wednesdays and Thursdays. Um, good and bad. So I'm like, Hey, I noticed that you haven't done anything yet. And it's the middle of the week and don't get caught in the vicious cycle of procrastination. Like, do you need any help? These are my office hours so that you're starting that dialogue with them. And then, and then I'm also doing it with the students that are on the high end that have finished everything. Like, wow, like you're doing great. Um, keep it up. This is the way to work this class. This is the way, um, to get things done. And so I think that that's, a really helpful um, thing, but it's the the core of it to me is the daily grading and the um, progress tracker. Yeah, no. And you know, one thing that makes me like, there were two things I think I did in the classroom that helped build the self-regulated learners. And I think it's similar to what you all are talking about. I mean, the first is to just push a kid to articulate why. I realized that I never did this when I taught traditionally. Kid would not be working. I'd be like, work. And they would maybe take some time off and be like, work harder. And then maybe I'd pull them after class and make something going on. But I found that the model allowed me to just walk up to a kid who wasn't, you know, who's on their phone maybe, or who wasn't doing what they were supposed to be doing. And I'd just say, hey, what exactly are you doing? And they would explain. And I'd be like, is this a good use of your time? And they would explain an idea. And we would just keep having that conversation. Like actually sort of push that conversation to the point where there's common understanding. Where even if I walk away, and you're still not doing what you're supposed to be doing, you fleshed out why that might not be a positive decision or might negatively impact your performance. And I think that is such an important step to take for kids, like not just assuming that when you tell them to do something, they understand why they're doing it. And really trying to pull that out in discussions is really, really powerful. Yeah, I think also just to like to tie this back to the relationships episode and the previous episode on uh, engagement, like they might have a good answer for you for what they're doing. And they might be like, yeah, this actually is a good use of my time. <laughs> right. Um, and if they say that, I think it's important to, to take them at their, their word and understand that that might be right for them in that moment. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree. I a hundred percent agree. Yeah. A lot of what I'm doing during the day is um, procrastination education. So I'm like, um, talking to the students about what procrastination looks like and feels like, and then how do you disentangle yourself from that vicious cycle of procrastination and um, how sometimes when you get caught up in that loop, how it can affect your thoughts and then that's affecting your actions. And like, how do you get out of that once you're in that hole? Um, we uh, this, this year I have due dates on Sunday night. And so they get stuck in that loop of trying to do things on Sunday and then they can't finish everything. And then they have things to do for another class. And then it's Monday and then things are late and now grades are in and, you know, it's this whole thing. And so it's like trying to help those students to pace out. And I'm like, you know, your mind's going to tell you that you don't need to do this today or that you're tired and that you have five more days, but you have to fight against that. And you have to like, you know, create your own pace because you remember what happened last week and then the week before. And that's also a conversation that I have with them. They do weekly um, reflections as an assignment. And so then I'm able to like put comments on their Google doc. And then it's, and then it really is like, remember last week and the week before, like, let's make some changes. And I think that that's really important. Can you talk a little bit more, um, Mozzie, about what these reflections look like weekly? Like, what are you asking them? Yeah, so um, 
this year I'm using one and it has first it has like a um sort of a checklist where I'm basically going through and asking them what I'm looking at when I'm giving them a weekly grade. So, you know, did you do did you watch the Ed Puzzle? Did you do your assignment? Did you do the online textbook reading? So I'm going through all of that. Did you try your best this week? Did you understand the lesson? Did you help other people in class? Did you come to office hours? Did you um, email me if you needed an extension? Things like that that are, to me, are sort of like the basic checklist stuff. And then um, some open-ended questions like, I'm most proud of myself this week because, um, so the sentence starter of that. And then my goal for next week is, um, I think that my grade this week should be fill in the blank because I earned that grade because why. And then, uh, the last question I asked them is, um, uh, if there's anything that I should know that's going on with them. And so sometimes they'll, uh, some of the really high end kids are very stressed out. Um, so they let me know that. And then sometimes students are working, uh, just whatever it is, they have things going on. So it's a nice, another, it's another way for them to communicate that to me. And then I like it because in Google Classroom, then I can comment straight back to them. So again, it's that dialogue. And this is even, it's enhanced even more when I'm doing this daily. So they're communicating this to me. And then same day, I'm communicating back to them, which I just think that when we're doing that, we're modeling how we want the students to be, you know, like we want them to keep up on their work. So I'm keeping up on my work. So I'm modeling to you how to not procrastinate. And I try to like talk to the students too about how it's not like you um, graduate high school and you become an adult and you suddenly don't struggle with these things. Like everybody struggles with procrastination sometimes and you just have to know yourself and you have to see the signs and you have to like know what are the fixes to like pull you out of that hole. I love it. You know, it reminds me because when I, one of the other ways that I would help teach self-regulation is this idea of like collective reflection. So a lot of times folks would say like, how do you open class? And sometimes I would, of course, just let kids work. And a lot of times what I would do is a similar structure to you, Mozzie, which is I would let kids walk into class and I'd give them five, seven, eight minutes to get started. And then once that time kind of ran out, I would actually call everyone together and say, hey, folks, like just so you all know, it took you all eight minutes to just like start learning. And can we talk about that? Like, is that a healthy amount of time? Can we try to move a little bit quicker and sort of be a little bit more deliberate about getting started? Um, and having that kind of collective reflection where kids are sharing like why it took so long. Was it the organization of the room? Was it your capacity to know what to do next? Was it your ability to set your own goals? Like what is driving the delay and how can we shorten that amount of time? So I think there's opportunities, not just for individual reflection, which I think is incredible and the way that you're doing it sounds amazing, but also just whole group reflection. Like, can we all just talk about how we're doing with self-direction, self-regulation, and taking control of our own learning and ways that we can improve. So moving on from sort of like, you know, how do we actually teach this explicitly? One of the things that I have heard from so many people in every type of constituent, teacher, parent, student, admin, superintendent, news reporter even, is this idea of Students aren't developmentally ready to control their own pace and to be the drivers of their own learning. And I was just curious to hear, like, that is fundamentally folks saying kids can't be self-regulated learners, in my opinion. Like, that's what folks are saying. What are your all's thoughts on why people think this? Like, why do constituent stakeholders, just like anyone involved or know about education, think that kids are not developmentally ready to actually be self-regulated learners? 
Yeah, this is, that's funny because I actually think of, in my mind, I think of like fifth graders as like the ideal for this. Fifth graders are like so enthusiastic still and, but they still have some academic skill. And that seems like the grade that would be the the best at like self-regulating and um, sort of self-pacing in a classroom. The only thing I can think as to why people, um, don't yet understand how or why this works is that they're thinking that you just like uh release the kids out into space and that's that's not the case like there is a lot of different supports so i mean i know daily who's falling off the ledge and daily i have supports to get them back in the game so i i think maybe that's where the disconnect is yeah absolutely zach do you have thoughts on this yeah, I mean, I, first of all, I would say to anybody that said that to me, I, maybe I would say it to myself. I wouldn't say it out loud, but I would remind them that we have kindergarten teachers, you know, teaching in the modern classrooms model. Um, this is not something that's unique to high school. I had a little bit of pushback last year, my first year teaching using the model um, from a couple of parents whose kids were getting low grades. And and they were, they would say to me like you know modern classrooms was born in a in a high school math class. Do you really think middle schoolers can handle this? And I think that the reason that people say this is sort of a fear that students won't be as successful if they don't have their hand held all the way through school. And I don't know. I mean, in some cases that might be true. These students might have been getting lower grades because they were developing the the self regulation skills more than the content skills in certain classes because they were lacking. Um, but, but on the other hand, I, I don't know what else to like to teach in my class. I don't, I don't feel as a sixth grade teacher, super attached to developing professional musicians, 120 of them. You know, I want my students to come out of my class, seeing themselves as scholars and seeing themselves as a person that belongs at school. And so, um, developing those skills, those learning skills, right? And the self-regulation is more important to me than my content. Um, and I don't think developmentally there's the, the word developmentally suggests to me that it's like, it's only for the older kids. And I just, I don't agree. I did mention earlier that I had trouble with my youngest kids, um, in my sixth grade class. And I think that it does fall on the teacher to, to cater to each class's needs, um, obviously a high school math class is going to look different from a self-paced sixth grade math class um, and a self-regulated sixth grade math class. There's going to be more scaffolding. There's going to be a lot more support. Uh, I, I think that developmentally, the kids are ready for starting in pre-K. It's just that it's on the teacher to figure out how to, to you know, set them up for success and give them the tools they need to succeed. Yeah. And I, you know, I think you all covered this, but I want to add a couple other thoughts here. I mean, the first is obviously, whenever I hear that, I'm like, you're setting low expectations for kids. Yes. That's probably the most dangerous thing you can do to anyone, in my opinion, is not have high expectations of them. Obviously, if you have too high expectations, and aren't, you know, creating the supports for them, then that then becomes destructive. But the notion that you have come into the situation assuming that a kid cannot control their capacity to travel from one lesson to the next for a short chunk of lessons or a half unit, you know, really is at, at its core um, setting low expectations for kids. And, you know, one of the other things I think about when I hear that is is part of what you were saying, Zach, which is this idea of a fear of failure. And I think that that is 
a growing trend that is really, really dangerous because you end up focusing on the wrong priorities. You end up obsessing over whether or not a kid can find the arc length of a circle more than you care about whether or not they can actually set goals for themselves, which is so silly when you hear that out loud, right? I care more about the specific skill, chapter eight, lesson three, how they can solve this problem, but I don't actually care all that much if they can do it outside of this incredibly restrictive environment where they come into class and these four walls are surrounded by them and they have all their peers working together. And I think it's very easy to lose sight of the overarching goal here, which is to build self-regulated learners, to build learners that can handle novel environments. When you forget that end goal, then yeah, you obsess over content and maybe your kids will learn a subset of skills faster um, if you just micromanage everything. But how is that all that productive to the kids moving forward? Um, I think we all know that that's probably not. So absolutely. Fantastic thoughts all around. And I certainly agree. And it's amazing how often you'll hear that comment. And the first thing I think of now when someone says that is you're actually just scared. Like you're scared of the model. Um, you don't actually necessarily know whether that's true or not. So very, very interesting. Now, I, I don't want to close today's episode without talking about COVID. Um, because, you know, obviously, you all both are teaching in a remote environment, educators across the country are doing this, or they might be in person with a mixture of remote. Um, can you all talk a little bit about how um, self regulation matters? Uh, like whether it's more or less important in the remote setting, and whether it's harder or easier to help build it in, in students? It's definitely, I think, more important in the online environment. And I think um, a lot of students are actually aware that they don't have the self-regulation skills that they know that they're going to need in the online environment. So, um, you know, some students have told me that they don't like being online because they are um, distractible. And they're not accountable, basically, to themselves is what they say. And so they're going to go off and, you know, not not be present. And um, I'm just using it as a as as like a learning opportunity for them. Today, we were we were doing this in class today. I had like a, a quote up that had to do with astronomy, which is what we're learning. And I think it said something like um, it was something like in the darkness you know, is the best way to see the stars or something like that. It was by Martin Luther King Jr. And so it's like trying to talk to them about like, this is not most people's ideal situation. There's an obstacle in front of us. It's not going to be in front of us forever, but let's look at this as like an opportunity to be better and stronger and smarter on the other side of COVID, you know, like, let's look at it like that. So that's sort of like pep talks for them doing stuff like that. Um, and trying to change their perspective on um, how they're thinking about the online learning and and their own abilities to actually self-regulate. Yeah, yeah, that's a great idea to call it out explicitly like that. I'm going to do that with my kids now. Actually, I think like you know the I was talking about this before, and we've all sort of touched on this: the sort of uh, learned reliance and the conditioned reliance on the teacher, and obviously that connection is totally absent now in the sense that a kid who's disengaged now instead of you know acting up or sitting around doing nothing is i have no idea what's going on and they really if they're going to be successful they need to do it on their own you know i i can't i have i have no recourse uh to to try and support them the way that i did in the classroom except to chat them you know um 
sometimes I can't even see what they're doing. And and so uh, developing self-regulation skills now, and, and I, I have to say again, like using the model uh, to show kids where they are and where they need to be is just... It, it's so important. Like, no, I don't, you know, especially with the younger kids, they, they need to have a sense of what to do today next. Um, and, and I've, I found that with the model kids are, are more successful with that than I, than I could have otherwise expected. Like, it's like kids just start doing what they're doing. Um, and I'm watching them. We have this program called Go Guardian, which people may be familiar with. I see them, their, their screens on my computer. Right. And I can see that they're watching the videos and I think, okay, good. Like, we're, we're in the right place. Um, but that took coaching. And I think like students, it is an obstacle. Students are trying to figure this out. And, you know, I think that they're, they're actually, they're a little bit more open to trying school now that it's completely and 100% on their own shoulders to, to engage and to, to regulate their own learning. Maz, you were talking about this idea that like in the beginning of when you rolled out the model, some kids would just sit there and you'd be like, what are you doing? And they'd be like, I don't know. You didn't tell me what to do. And you'd kind of be like, well, here's how this class works and sort of reinforce that. And then you imagine a kid in that same position, but now by themselves at home in their room. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. whoa, you actually have no one to ask right now. Like you have to figure this out. And that idea is both daunting, but reinforces the importance of self-regulation. Like how would you survive um, learning without having some element of self-regulation? I think it's one of the fundamental reasons a lot of teachers are struggling right now, um, you know, is because they're realizing that the students that they have really struggle with self-regulation and suddenly at the drop of a dime, they have to figure out how to cultivate it and it's really hard. And it's not the fault of any teacher, but I think it's more just a systematic question that everyone needs to ask themselves. Have we emphasized self-regulation enough? And if not, how can we start reinforcing it more over time? I think it's so, so important. Have you all run into any specific strategies that have been valuable during COVID-19 to actually address this fundamental challenge of kids not really knowing what to do next and not really taking control of their own learning? Yeah, I think um, like day one, I partnered them up so that everybody in class had a partner. I made sure that they had each other's email addresses so that they have like a peer that they could reach out to if they feel like they don't know what's going on. And then, um, you know, I try to use things where I can monitor them. And then I, I took an online teaching course through Fairfax County this summer. And, um, they've, you know, they've been teaching these online classes for the last like 15 years and the teacher had really good tips. And one of them was to basically have the kids be checking in some way every five to eight minutes, which blew my mind. I was like, Whoa, I was doing like every 20 to like 25 minutes in the spring. So things like, um, okay, open this document, open this other document when you're done opening them, when you have them open, give me a thumbs up in the chat. So like always interacting with them that way so that they do, they get in the habit of like, interacting with you for the whole 80 minutes. That's how long our classes are, um, that they're not just like logging in and then, um, you know, kicking back and taking a nap or something. And, um, that's been really helpful. And then, um, monitoring them on their, uh, individual Google docs as they're working and, and really just like checking in with them, having them unmute if they're having problems getting into their specific document, um, you know, helping them figure out where it is in Google Classroom, but just really staying interactive with them throughout the whole class. And then we use Pear Deck and we can see what they're doing. And um, and then on top of that, I think the other thing is, is you just have to have a quicker response time. 
all around. Like when kids are emailing you, like you have to be on top of that because they do just feel left out on a limb somewhere. And so you don't want to leave them out there too long and let them get frustrated. And then, and then I've been calling home. So sometimes uh, like I'll just call home and I'll talk to mom or dad and just say, Hey, can you pass the phone to, to your son or daughter? And then I'll talk to them and walk them through, um, you know, where they need to go in Google classroom to get whatever it is that they need. I mean, they have a lot, just like teachers, the students have a lot of new information being thrown at them as well. And so I think sometimes we do have to babysit step them through certain things, but that's again, where I'm saying like the tracker is coming in so handy because I know out of my, I think I have 125 students this year. I have 18 people on a list that I'm have like, like on high radar. And those are the people that I'm like calling home, that I'm baby stepping through things, that I'm checking in with a counselor, that I'm checking in with a student daily. I'm sending them to-do lists on email. Like I'm just real like hands-on with those 18 students to make sure that they stay with us. I love it. I love it. I think it's so interesting too. This idea of individual touch points is so important. Like how can you ensure that you're constantly having individual touch points? And it also reinforces the need for asynchronous learning. Because there's no way for you to engage in a bunch of touch points if you're constantly running synchronous sessions. Mm -hmm. There has to be that balance. Otherwise, you're stuck running a live session. Then as soon as the live session's done, like class is over, a bunch of kids might be lost, but you just don't have the energy or the time to be able to address those needs. The only way you can be responsive as an educator is to ensure that you built learning environments that craft space and time for you to do that. So I think that's fantastic. Zach, any additional thoughts on some cool strategies during COVID-19 and remote instruction to to do this? Yeah, I have three that have worked really well for me. The first one is, I mentioned it already, is GoGuardian, um, which is a service that my school pays for. Um, I don't know how accessible this is, but another one is called Hapara. It's basically a a Chrome-based service that lets the teacher see like the screens of every student in their class. Um, and I, I don't use it. Kids kind of feel like it's an invasion of their privacy, but I really use it um, just to chat with them. It has a good chat feature and it lets me send announcements to the entire class as well as chat with individual students. And um, it's it's good also if you can see that a particular kid has been watching like YouTube videos for the entire class. Um, I, you know, I do what Kareem said, which is like, okay, you spent this entire class watching uh, these videos about Minecraft. Um, was that productive for you? Like, was, is, you know, are you, are you happy that you did that? Are you, do you feel good about that now? Um, and sometimes they say yes. And sometimes they say no. Um, the second one is to chat with them, uh, sort of over all other means of communication, um, after the sync session, you know, my Tony Rose mentioned this a few episodes ago, but these kids, when we say that they're digital natives, that's kind of a weird thing to say, but I do think that chat is like a very comfortable, familiar, uh, format of communication for them and chatting with the kids. You know, we use, again, we have, we use uh, Google, like the Google suite. And so I have hangouts open and I have like, you know, 13 different hangouts going at the same time, which is, you know, a lot, but the chat like modality of communication is really, really great. Um, and it makes it feel more like we're, we're responding to the situation and, and treating it like what it actually is instead of trying to replicate like a classroom uh, discussion. It works now. I find that chat is really helpful. And the last one is, um, I actually saw this on Twitter. I, I think it was Edutopia tweeted out like a profile on a teacher and he had this idea, which was to, after you finish the synchronous session to just stay on zoom and let kids mute the zoom call and just continue to be on zoom and, um, just hang out with the kids on zoom while they're working. 
uh, it's not a synchronous session anymore, but Zoom is still open and you're there for them if they have a question, just like you would be in the classroom. And another cool thing that, that I've been doing with that is in the case of a kid that I would want to pull over to my desk, maybe to revise something or check in with them about something, I'll just put them into a breakout room by themselves and I'll go with them. So it's just the two of us or maybe like two or three kids and me in a breakout room doing a check-in and we're all still there on Zoom. Like we're not really like interacting as a class anymore, but it's just sort of like the teacher is present now. And um, it's in terms of self-regulation, it's sort of like if I need the help, the teacher is still there. And I think that gives kids a little bit of sort of a, like a cushion. Absolutely. Zach, can you talk a little bit more about Go Guardian? I've never heard of that before. Yeah, it's so if you log on to the web page, when I log on to the web page, what I see is every student um, on the screen, I see their name, and then there's like a one inch by one inch little box that shows the screen of their computer. And it updates. My students always like talk about video game frames per second, right? Like 60 FPS and all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, GoGuardian is like one FPS. It updates really slowly, but every second or two, it updates and it shows you what they're actually seeing on their screen, um, which. You know, it's, if they're watching a YouTube video, I can watch the YouTube video from my side. And if they're if they're doing their work, I can see that they're doing their work. Like I can see them typing in real time. Um, it does update fast enough to see what they're doing in real time. And um, again, like I think that a lot of kids view that as an invasion of their privacy um, because I'm just watching their, you know, I can, if they're sending an email to someone and they think it's private, I can watch them typing up their email, um, uh, which can seem kind of creepy, honestly, <laughs> but I, I'm very, like, I'm very explicit with them that I'm not trying to like, you know, watch them. Um, I use it again. I use it to chat with them more than anything, but like, it's interesting because some kids will be working on, I, I teach music. And so some kids will be working on their song and I can see them working in Go Guardian and they don't know I'm watching them, but I'll send them a chat in Go Guardian and be like, oh, I can see what you're doing. That looks really cool. I'm curious to hear what it sounds like. And then they're like, oh, thanks. Um, so it's, it's sort of like, you know, some teachers use, I did not use Go Guardian in the classroom because I, I feel like if you're in the classroom with the kid, you can just walk over and see their computer, right? But uh, when we're obviously, when we're remote, I can't tell what they're doing and GoGuardian um, is is sort of a way that I can get a, a pulse check on what the class is doing. And if if some kids are off task for the entire 45-minute class, I will let them know that I saw. Yeah. Another thing that I'm using this year that's like um, Remind is called Talking Points. And it's basically two-way translation text messaging with parents. And that's been really helpful also because I'm able to, um, you know, text message with Spanish speaking parents in real time during class. It's been very convenient. I just feel like I have such closer relationships with the parents um, because I don't have to go through a um, translator. Amazing. Amazing. Well, I mean, there's really no better way to end a session with actual pragmatic strategies and solutions to give teachers. That's certainly what we live and breathe, hopefully, at the Modern Classrooms Project. So I was just intrigued to hear both of your all strategies. Many of them I have yet to hear about ways to sort of cultivate engagement and self-regulation in the classroom during remote instruction. So, so, so awesome. Thank you both for joining us. Zach, obviously, as a co-host and Mozzie as a guest. Um, both of you are incredible implementers, but also incredible mentors. I want to remind all listeners, you can go to our website at www.modernclassrooms.org to just learn about our work and our different programs. 
If you haven't already, I strongly encourage you to check out our free course, learn.modernclassrooms.org. It's a great way to just figure out what this model is, learn more about it. And if you're seeking out more support, whether you're a school or district leader and you want to enroll a bunch of educators into our virtual mentorship program, or you're an individual educator who wants to learn our model and get a mentor, um, you can have mentors like Mozzie and Zach guide you through this process. So thank you both for joining us. Um, it's wonderful chatting with you all. I hope you all are keeping your heads up. It's such a tough time to be an educator, and the work that you all are doing is incredible. So it's an honor to be able to chat with you and hear your thoughts on the current moment. Yes, thank you. Yeah, an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Awesome. Bye, everyone. Hey, everyone. I'm Kate Gaskell, head of teaching and learning at the Modern Classrooms Project. Moira discussed that the first step of transforming her classroom to a truly student-centered environment was our Modern Classrooms professional development. Through our in-person and online trainings, we have been lucky enough to work with teachers all over the country like Moira. I'm so happy I get to briefly introduce you to another brilliant and dedicated educator, Mara, who did our professional development last summer. Hi, my name is Mara Marks, and I'm a U.S. history teacher in Las Vegas, Nevada. The Modern Classroom Project Professional Development has been the best training I've had in 17 years of teaching. The mentor component of this program is one of the factors that sets it apart from all other programs. Having a mentor who shared my teaching experience made it all that more authentic. You can learn our model on our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. And remember, you can always learn more about our work at our website, www.modernclassrooms.org. We're also on social media. You can find us at at modernclassproj on Twitter, at modernclassroomsproj on Instagram, and facebook.com slash modernclassproj. If you're looking for more comprehensive support, please check out our virtual mentorship program where you can get the personalized support from modern classrooms teachers like Moira, who are currently implementing the model. Thank you for listening, and we'll be with you soon for another episode. Have a great week. 